If you have your Bibles and want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24, that's where we'll be today. Uh, And I want you to turn to Luke 24, that will be our main text. Um, But I also want you to kind of stick a finger there and then turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we're going to read a little bit there first. We come to the portion of, uh, of Luke now, this last chapter, as we are approaching the very end of the book, and we have made our way through some very dark uh, and very sad moments through this book. Uh, great moments of Jesus doing amazing works of his birth, of uh, the miracles that he performed and the people that he ministered to, uh, the, the sermons that he preached. Uh, we've seen, obviously, the very sad moments just recently of his betrayal and his crucifixion and his death and his burial. But we come now to the next scene, uh, which is that of the resurrection. And as we read in our our passage today from Luke, what is emphasized in this passage and in this particular section of all of the Gospels is the emptiness of the tomb, of the place where these women that we're going to see go and look for Jesus, the emptiness of the tomb. And my title for our sermon today is the empty tomb full of wonder. For indeed, though the tomb was empty in the sense that there was uh, no body, no Jesus, no Lord there any longer, uh, it was full in the sense that it was full of wonder, full of amazement, full of majesty in what had happened. The importance of the resurrection cannot be overstated in significance for the Christian faith. And unfortunately today, the resurrection is as much under assault as it has been throughout history, as it has been even since the moment that Jesus was raised from the dead. For we remember uh, from John that the Pharisees insisted that this lie be spread, right? That the disciples had moved the body of Jesus, though that was indeed a lie. That is not what happened. Uh, But even today, just like the Pharisees then, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is constantly challenged. It is constantly Uh, refuted, and even in the case of many who call themselves Christians today, it is widely rejected as an actual historical reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead bodily on that Sunday after he was crucified. And so it's, it's just as important as it ever was for us to look now at the resurrection. And it may seem strange that we are just a few weeks out from Easter Sunday And yet here today, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Um, but the Lord in his sovereignty and in his providence has decreed that we would read the passage on the resurrection today, and I am not one to argue with the Lord, and so here we are today. Um, But I think it's worthwhile because I honestly think uh, we, we forget that the reason we celebrate, the reason we worship on Sundays is because of the resurrection, that every Lord's Day is Resurrection Sunday. And so for our purposes today, I want us to consider just how important the resurrection is. In fact, John MacArthur says of the resurrection, central to God's redemptive plan and the foundation of the gospel, the resurrection is the essential truth apart from which there is no Christianity. The divine vindication of the work that Jesus did on the cross, apart from the resurrection, the cross means nothing. In other words, except for the reality of what we see in our passage today, except for the truthfulness, the the reality of that, everything that we've looked at, all the time that we spent over the past few weeks looking at Jesus' crucifixion, his betrayal, his suffering, his death, 
It was all wasted. It was all for nothing. But we do not believe that's the case, for we uh, agree with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. As I said, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, one of the most well-known and important passages taught on the resurrection, where Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19, establishes the importance of the resurrection in the life of the church. He starts by saying this in verse 12 of chapter 15. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, addressing an issue, a false claim that has risen up in the church, that there is no resurrection of the dead for believers, that we as human beings, once we die, are dead, and that is it. This is the common belief of all today as well, that when we die, we are dead. We do not come back. There is nothing more. We simply are dead, and that is it. A denial of the resurrection, the same as Paul is addressing here in Corinth. And Paul begins to unpack the, the, the logic. He takes this to its logical end of their argument. So Paul takes their argument, as we'll see in 13 and following, and he says, okay, I grant you, let's, let's say... For instance, that you're right and there is no resurrection from the dead, that no one ever is raised from the dead, period. This universal. He says in verse 13 and following, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So Paul says, if your claim is true, that there is no resurrection of the dead for anyone, period, then according to that logic, Christ, who we have preached as risen from the dead, who we believe, according to the testimony of the witnesses, and the apostles was raised from the dead. He has not actually raised from the dead. If what you say is true, there is no resurrection from the dead, and therefore Christ was not raised. And he goes on and says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Paul makes such a bold claim to say that if our resurrection from the dead is not a reality, if, if no one is raised from the dead, then Christ is not raised from the dead. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and indeed your faith is in vain. You believe for no reason. Indeed, you believe a lie. He goes on to say in 15 and 16, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And then he goes on to say in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians, or verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. All of this logical argument that Paul is making against these people who deny the resurrection from the dead leads him to say, if, if we are not raised from the dead, then Christ is not raised from the dead. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, then you are still in your sin and your faith is useless. It is wasted. And he concludes saying, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul places such a high importance on the resurrection from the dead, namely Christ's resurrection, that he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you are without hope, and you are above all people most to be pitied. 
If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you have placed your bet on the wrong horse. You have made a bad investment, a bad gamble, for you have staked your life on this. And indeed, it would be right to proclaim you are a fool. If you have staked your entire life, your faith, your belief, your values, everything on this reality that Christ was raised from the dead and he has not been raised from the dead, then your life is a sham. This is Paul's claim. This is the gravity, the importance of the resurrection that Paul gives to it here in 1 Corinthians 15 and elsewhere in Scripture. And I would implore us today that it ought to cause us as we read Luke chapter 24 to see the significance, to see the dramatic importance of the resurrection. For indeed, Paul goes on to say in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Indeed, it is a true statement that he has been raised from the dead. We do have hope. Our faith is not in vain. We have no reason to be pitied for Christ has been raised from the dead. And we'll see that in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. If you want to turn back there, Luke chapter 24. The word of God says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, when he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered up into sinful hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Lord, we ask as we study your word today, as we see the reality of the resurrection, that we would see the reality that this is the proof of our salvation that apart from resurrection, we have no hope. Lord, bolster our faith, bolster our confidence in your work of redemption as we study and see the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. What we see in our text today, though Christ is largely absent from our text today, is he not? He's largely absent, and I think Luke uh, does this on purpose as everything that he writes is intentional and is uh, meant by God for a purpose. He writes and largely leaves Jesus out of the picture. Why? Because they are in the place of the dead. They are in the tomb. They are in the place where dead people are. And indeed, Jesus, as the angel declares, is no longer dead. And so Jesus is not in this scene. But what we do see is the dramatic witness to the testimony of Christ's resurrection. And we see this, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, in the first witnesses to Christ's resurrection. The task of these women that were going to the tomb 
as we remember from last week, that these were women who, having seen where Jesus was buried, where Joseph of Arimathea had laid Christ in the tomb, they went and rested on the Sabbath, but then came back this morning, this Sunday morning, with spices prepared, ointments prepared, in order to dress the body of Christ. And first of all, as we consider the task that these women had come to do, this thing that they had come to perform, it's a demonstration and another reminder to us of the destructive and ugly decay that is brought on by death as a result of sin. For indeed, what these women were coming to do was they were coming to treat the body of Christ in order to uh, sort of push back the decay, push back the rot, push back the results and the curse of sin that we see in our bodies when we die, that they decay, they rot. All of this resulting from sin. If you remember from the story of Lazarus, who after being in the grave four days, uh, the Bible tells us that there was a terrible odor that was coming out of the grave of Lazarus. Here Jesus has been in the, in the tomb for now the third day, two nights. Likely he would have begun to decay and, and smell. And so the women coming to anoint his body were, uh, in essence, reminding us again of the decay and the rot that they expected to see on Jesus because of his death as a result of sin. And yet Jesus was not there as we know. But instead what these women become is witnesses to the resurrection. Not just witnesses, but the very first witnesses. It's truly amazing to me, I think, especially given the cultural norms of the day that the Lord and his sovereignty would, would choose to use these women uh, to be the very first witnesses of Jesus. In fact, Mary Magdalene is the first person who ever saw Jesus after his resurrection. For if you, if you remember from this time in, in history, women were largely distrusted. They were seen in, in a sort of secondhand light that, that women uh, were not as, uh, in a sense, trustworthy as men. In fact, the testimony of women was not even accepted in court at this time. This is the view that people had of women and of their trustworthiness and of their word. Yet the Lord and his sovereignty demonstrates uh, how radical this work that he is doing is, that he even uses women in this way. And it actually serves for us to demonstrate the truthfulness of the resurrection. That it is not a myth that has been created by the disciples. It is not a lie that has been fabricated. For indeed, why would the disciples have lied in this way? That would be a foolish way to lie to say that these women, trust me, these women saw first before anyone else that Jesus has been had been raised from the dead. No one would have believed that. They were women. Their testimony wasn't trustworthy. That would have been a foolish way to start this myth. And so even in this, we see the reality of the truthfulness of this statement. I want us also to notice in these verses the specific way in which Luke says that they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This matters because it affirms the physical bodily resurrection of Christ. That there are some who would claim that, oh, sure, sure, Christ uh, was resurrected, but more in a metaphysical sense, more in a spiritual sense, and that he was reunited with Christ. That's what's really meant in the resurrection, but not that his body actually came out of the grave, because that doesn't happen, right? And yet Luke says specifically for us, Luke is a doctor, by the way, he knows what he's talking about. He says they did not find the body. 
that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. That his resurrection was not merely a spiritual one. It was not a metaphysical resurrection. It was a physical, bodily resurrection from the grave. A dead man come back to life. Point number two, we see messengers from God in verses four through six. Verses four through six, we see, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Luke says that these two men suddenly appeared with them in the tomb. And we know from uh, what we see of these men, even in our text, and also from the uh, other texts, other gospels, that these men, though they wore the appearance of men, were in fact angels. And the two angels that were here present in the tomb, the text tells us, were in dazzling apparel. This dazzling apparel was likely due to the fact that they had been in the very presence of God and their uh, even appearance was radiating the glory of God in a sort of secondhand way, so much that upon this, the women were struck with awe and fear and bowed their faces to the ground. For even just the radiating glory of God off of angels who had simply been in God's, God's presence was enough to try, strike fear into the hearts of these women, as it, as it is oftentimes when people encounter angels which is why we can rest pretty assured that when people uh, around us today claim to have had visions of angels or even visions of God, we can pretty confidently say most of them are false because uh, the reaction that we see from these peoples, from these testimonies, is not one of fear or distress, uh, but oftentimes far more casual than that. These women respond in the way people always respond when they see angels, and that is with fear. That they were afraid, they were terrified. And then the angels speak to these women, and I, I love these awesome lines, this awesome message, and the first two lines that the angels give to these women, where they say, and ask this rhetorical question, why do you seek the living among the dead? What a great question. If the angels had stopped there, then the women might have said, well, you don't understand. We're looking for someone who died. The man we're looking for is dead. He was crucified a couple days ago, and he was buried here. So he's dead. We're not looking for the living. But the angels go on to say, after asking this question, he is not here, but he has risen. Reminding them of the reality then that they had forgotten. This brings us to point number three, the, the fickle memory of fallen people. We see in verse number two that the women were perplexed at what they were seeing. When they, empty, they, they entered this tomb and saw that it was empty, they were confused. They were perplexed. They were expecting to go into this place and find Jesus' dead body. We see even Mary Magdalene's statement to Peter in John 20 when she returned going to Peter to tell him. He, she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we know not where they have laid him. When these women enter the tomb, they don't immediately think he is risen. Their first thought is, oh my goodness, where is the body of Jesus? It's been stolen, it's been moved, what has happened? These women were perplexed. And in a sense, 
This is an indictment on them. This statement that the angels make is an indictment on these women when they, they ask them the question in the second half of verse six, remember how he told you. In other words, these women had forgotten. They had forgotten that Jesus had already told them that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to be raised on the third day. At least two occasions in the book of Luke alone, Jesus declares to them that I am going to be handed over, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. He was that specific. And yet these women had forgotten. Not these women only, but even the men, all of Jesus' disciples, all of them had forgotten these words that Jesus had told them on at least two occasions. The angels reminded these women of Jesus' words, words that they frankly should have remembered and should have taken hope in. They should have come to the tomb that day, but they should have come ready to greet their Savior if they had remembered his words. For indeed, the angel reminds them, while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And I'm, I don't know that it was immediate, but I think this was the moment when the light switch began to come on and the women began to remember, he did say that. Maybe he is risen. Maybe he is alive. They should have remembered, but frankly didn't. They didn't take the hope in it initially that they should have. They came to the tomb that morning expecting to find a dead body, expecting uh, to find a man who not only died but had stayed dead like all dead men do, which is why they brought these spices. But indeed, what they found was something greater. But they came this way. They came expecting a dead man because they had forgotten, because their memories, memories were faulty. And we know full well that the, the faulty memory that is exhibited by these women, by these disciples, man, it runs in our veins too. We so often forget the truths of Scripture. We forget what God has promised in His Word. We forget what Jesus has told us. So oftentimes, we as Christians today, we forget the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's why we have to be reminded of the gospel on a regular basis, which is why as, if I, as a preacher, come to you week after week after week and fail to give you the gospel, then I am doing you a disservice. Why? Because we are so prone to forget. As the song we sang today, we are so prone to wander. We have to constantly be reminded of the good news of the gospel, of the good news of the resurrection. We forget so often the promises that God has made to us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In those times when we feel forgotten, when we feel forsaken, is in those times when we are forgetting the promises of God and need to be reminded. We forget the assurance of our salvation and the basis of our hope, even in death, because of Christ's resurrection. It's important that we regularly remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel so that we can hopefully avoid ending up like these disciples in this instance who failed to remember and ultimately failed to believe the testimony of these women as we see in uh, verses 11 through 12 where we see the unbelieving disciples. Verses 11 and 12 tells us, these words seem to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The initial response that these disciples give is one of disbelief. They do not believe what these women say. The disciples are not painted in all that great of a light here. There are probably some 
negative things that we could say about them. Sure, uh, they were suffering from the same forgetfulness that these women did when they first went to the tomb where they failed to remember what Christ had told them. They were likely products of their time and probably less trusting of women than they should have been, these women who had been following Jesus along with them for so long and had been serving and worshiping Jesus alongside them. They perhaps fell into the cultural norms of their society and failed to believe and trust these women. And all of that could, could very well be said and, and, and made uh, true statements of these disciples. But honestly, these disciples simply did not really believe this statement of the women because, why? It was impossible. It was silly to think that someone could be raised from the dead because people don't come back from the dead. I'm not sure what they thought that Jesus was talking about in those times when he predicted his death and resurrection. Perhaps, like so many today, they thought that he just meant it would be a spiritual or a, a metaphysical resurrection, not a real one. Maybe they weren't listening very well. Maybe they were listening about as well as uh, uh, me when I'm watching TV and my wife tells me something, and I'm like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, oh, sure, yeah, Mark, yep, yeah, okay, all right. I don't know. But whatever the case is, they forgot. They failed to understand, and therefore they did not believe that Jesus would be raised from the dead because that doesn't happen. And I would be careful not to be too hard on these disciples because the resurrection from the dead in that day was just as foreign as it is today. If someone came to us and said, so-and-so has been raised from the dead. Remember that guy that died and was dead for like a couple days? He's alive again. He's walking around. You wouldn't believe it, right? Well, as foreign as resurrection from the dead is for us today, it was just as foreign for these people. R.C. Sproul makes the point that so many people think that this day and age in history, people just saw resurrections all the time. You could go down to the cemetery any day of the week and see so-and-so resurrected from the dead. That wasn't the case. It was just as impossible, just as foreign to them in that day as it is to us today. It shouldn't be that hard for us to put ourselves in their shoes. It's just that we know how the story goes. We know what happened. We get to see it unfolding before us in the text, but they were not so lucky. I think this passage, it, it kind of ought to make us feel bad for Thomas, shouldn't it? Poor Thomas gets such a bad rap. He's always called Doubting Thomas. Like That's like his claim to fame, nothing else. Just the guy that didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Well, shoot, none of the disciples did. Neither did these women. No one believed that Jesus was raised from the dead until they saw him, until they saw the proof, until they saw the evidence. Thomas wasn't some sort of terrible exception to the rule, like everyone believed it so easily. No. He, like the rest of these disciples, didn't believe what he had heard until he had seen it for himself. Why didn't they believe it? Because it was impossible. We wouldn't have believed it either. But in the end, we see Peter leaving, going to the tomb, marveling at what happened. And we see him beginning to understand. The lights were beginning to come on. The reality was beginning to set in of exactly what had happened. We see the bud beginning to open. The reality of redemption coming to its greatest fruition, coming to its most glorious result as the reality of the re resurrection begins to set in in the life of these believers as it should in our life today. 
as in the story of the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan's roar has been heard. Winter is leaving. Spring is coming. The reality of the resurrection is setting in. I want us to take us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we come to a close and see again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read up to verse 20 as Paul is expounding on the importance of the resurrection. Paul goes on to say in verses 20 through 23, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ leads us to conclude, as Paul does here, that because of his resurrection, we look forward to a coming day when we will be resurrected. Because Christ has victory over the grave, we in him have victory over the grave also. That death doesn't have any more hold over us than it did over Christ. If he is raised, so are we, for he is indeed the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first fruits of the harvest. He is the first sign of what is to come, that he has risen from the dead. And we look to that as the evidence, as the proof, as the assurance that we too will be raised from the dead. That death is not the end for us. All of this glorious reality leads us to conclude what Paul does in, in 1 Corinthians with this glorious word where he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, this amazing text, he says, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We follow Paul in his declaration, in this song, in this glorification that he gives, saying, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The question is rhetorical for us, for we know the answer. The answer is, there is none. There is no victory for death. There is no victory for sting because Christ has defeated it. And he is the evidence, he is the proof of our resurrection, of our victory. The reason that we die as earthly human beings, a physical death is because of the presence of sin and the curse brought on by sin. But once Christ, in his work on the cross, removed our sin, the curse was broken. And the proof that the curse was broken and that the sin had been removed, the validation of this is seen in his resurrection. In the resurrection, we see God saying, my wrath my justice is satisfied. And he removes the curse of sin, which is death, not for Christ only, but for all who are in Christ. So that once sin has been removed, the curse is removed along with it, and the proof is seen in the fact that death is reversed. Not for Christ only, but for all of those who are in him. Christian, if you are in Christ here today, take heart 
take hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it is an actual historical event that happened that he bodily rose from the grave. Take hope in that as the evidence that death has been defeated, sin has been removed, and the curse of sin, which is death, has been reversed. And let us rejoice in that today. And with that, I would offer a warning to anyone in here today who is not united to Christ by faith, who has not believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to die on the cross to take your sin, I would encourage you, if you've never trusted in Christ, then this reality is not for you. You cannot sing the song, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For indeed, death still has victory over you. Sting, the death still, still stings for you. But I would encourage you, it doesn't have to. Look to the finished work of Christ and his resurrection as the proof of that and trust in him for your resurrection. Pray this, pray with me.